I'm really fascinated with taking the target off of the female body, right? That it's so much easier to blame the woman for being too stressed or for eating toxic foods than it is to change society. For me, it's been helpful to work with Bethany because we were able to trace back to when did these messages of just relax start? And so in the you know, early 19th century, we were able to find um, pieces of advice where um, people were talking about how if you could me mentally discipline yourself, you could achieve pregnancy. And so it was sort of a long history of the psychosomatic or mental illnesses causing um, infertility, right? Welcome to the Mother Honestly podcast. This is your host, Blessing Adeshion, founder and CEO of Mother Honestly. On this show, we interview ambitious women that are thriving in and beyond motherhood. Expect honest and real conversations that will encourage and inspire you to take actions on your dreams. Hello, thank you so much for joining me on the Mother Honestly podcast. This is Kristen Hall, the COO of Mother Honestly, and we are recording live from our gracious sponsor at Motor City Women's Studios. It's a wonderful day, and I am so excited to have with me Dr. Margaret Quinlan, who is an Associate Professor of Communication Studies at the University of North Carolina at the Charlotte Department of Communication Studies, and is co-author of a fabulous book that I'm excited to talk about today, uh, which is the You're Doing It Wrong, Mothering, Media, and Medical Expertise, which she co-wrote with Bethany Johnson. Maggie, thanks so much for joining me today on the podcast. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Thank you so much for this honor. I've really been looking forward to it. So excited to have you. And please give our listeners a little bit more of your background. Sure. So as you said, I'm an associate professor in communication studies. I study... Um, health communication. So I'm interested in issues related to the body, how we talk about the body, interested in um, doctor-patient communication and other communication issues um, surrounding usually women's health is my specific area. That's awesome. And this book, I really, there's a lot of great parts to it. It's very fascinating on how um, you guys approach mothering media and the medical expertise, but could you tell us, our readers, a little bit more, our listeners rather, and hopefully soon to be readers of your book, a little bit more about kind of what inspired this publication? And I'd love to dive into the different parts of the book. Sure. So, we, my research partner, Bethany Johnson, who's in history, um, we started researching together um, about six six or seven years ago, and um, we make a really nice, um, interesting interdisciplinary um, collaboration because we both look at issues from different perspectives, but now they sort of meld together because we've been working together so long. But we were fascinated with um, many of the health issues that um, lay and technical experts um, would either critique or um, criticize or, you know, try to give advice to, to usually female bodies. So we see that as, as pretty broad when we think of mothers, it's, it's a broad term for us. And so what we did was we looked at the past 200 years of 
advice or expertise directed at, at females um, related to preconception, conception, pregnancy, childbirth, postpartum, and then the early toddler years. So we looked at what did that advice look like throughout history and then what does it look like today on social media and what we were really interested in were different health crises that individuals face in those different stages that we call the life cycle of early motherhood so fertility and conception challenges pregnancy behavior and outcomes premature birth infant loss postpartum health issues and um you know toddler milestones um and so so it's been really fascinating um, to look at um, issues that we see today and sort of take it back over the last 200 years. And it is absolutely fascinating because a lot of what I read and kind of my own experiences with Mother Honestly is it shows that this sense of that like mother shaming and the mom guilt is not a new concept, but it's magnified by what we're seeing with our social media kind of crossovers in that different arena. Um, what do you find when you talk to mothers or you found in the research that I know this is going to hit home for a lot of our, our listeners is this, this feeling of the mom guilt. It's not a new concept. I think for me, what really stands out to me now is that we have access to so many different voices or access to them very quickly, right? So our mothers and our grandmothers, um, they weren't able to post on a mom's group on Facebook and ask a medical question um, with, you know, to be able to get all these different perspectives within a couple of minutes, right? So you post a question about your baby's rash and you will get a lactation consultant, a doula, a mom of six, um, somebody who sells Shakeology, a doctor, right? people who are anti-vax, right? You, you can hear from a lot of different perspectives within a couple of seconds, sometimes it seems, where, um, you know, back it, it throughout history, that wasn't, that wasn't an option. And for me, as somebody who studies this, but has also posted health questions to social media um, during the different crises that I, had, I have been in throughout the different stages that we talk about, and, I think what's hardest is that it's hard to figure out that just because somebody's confident, that doesn't make them an expert. And so trying to di differentiate um, who is an expert, who is in sort of the camp that I'm in. And often we learn that when somebody's posting to social media, there's a lot more happening in that story than what we're seeing, right? So. The woman may be scared about the rash, but she's probably thinking about a lot of different things that are happening in her life, right? That she doesn't, she can't wait at two in the morning for her doctor to respond to her at 10 o'clock. That, you know, she already know, probably knows what she should do, but is still scared, right? There's a lot of pressure on mothers to, that if you make the wrong decision, you're potentially going to mess up their, um, their productivity as you know, citizens in society and you know, one wrong decision can, can impact that, right? We also know there's a lot of structural issues that women um, don't feel listened to in the medical establishment, that health insurance, that if you're weighing whether or not to go to the ER, um, 
and pay, you know, potentially a thousand plus dollars or pay a $10 copay in the morning. Um, you know, you're sort of weighing all these decisions if you're alone and you have to bundle up your children to take them, right? And so for me, what's been really helpful is not just giving that person advice in that moment, that that person probably doesn't need it. And there's a lot of other people who are medical experts who can probably give better advice, but instead, you know, sort of thinking of how can we support this person in the moment? And, you know, what, what does that mean, um, you know, based on different factors that person's going through that, that caused them to do this post at three in the morning? It's, it's absolutely fascinating. And I, the research you guys did is, is so extensive and in-depth, um, you know, across the, the spectrum of, you know, transgender and different kind of women's issues that we're seeing within that. Um, but for a lot of our listeners, it is that hard line of where do you, how do you separate the, um, the, the experts, be it like the medical experts or even the social media experts sometimes that we see, um, and just kind of that status of opinion. I think that's where women really struggle between the medical model and the social model that you guys discussed. Um, what do you see and what do you recommend for moms as they're navigating this world in either the preconception, conception, childbirth, those early toddler years? I, I think what I'm working on personally, and you know, I think this will always be a struggle for me. I've got a five-year-old and a two-year-old, um, is that there's a very specific ideal mother that's portrayed to us and keeping that in mind when you're scrolling through social media, right? That there's that ideal mother is white, middle-class, heterosexual, well-educated, thin, able-bodied, married, except, you know, et cetera, et cetera, the list, the list goes on. And so I think keep that ideal mother sets the bar so high that it's impossible for anyone to achieve, right? As a white, married, educated, heterosexual woman, I fall short on so many of, of those, um, those criteria, right? And so I think as long as we keep in mind when we're scrolling through social media, when we're um, looking for advice, that those are the, the people that we're going to see. And a lot of people sort of also influencers, right? They're making a career out of, out of a particular image that is not achievable to a lot of us. You know, my, my sort of big joke is that you will never see my family running through a field and with an expensive photographer, we've never had a photographer. <laughs> we, I don't run through fields. Like it's just not something I enjoy, right? And so I think as long as you're keeping that in mind, and I also want to make space for women who profit from, uh, from social media that I do believe that, you know, that, that there's lots of different ways to have a career. And I have to acknowledge that that's that woman's career. And I can't compare my life that does not look like that at all to what I'm seeing on social media. And so for me, what I've really been working on personally is trying to find people that aren't those images that I can follow, right? That do show um, an honest view of motherhood like, like you're doing that, you know, it's, it's 
I've been working on something now about um, African-American women and infertility and how they use social media, right? That, that there's different techniques and different um, strategies that don't always connect with the white image of infertility that, that we see today because of the shame and because of, of different issues. And so I've been really working on adding variety to my account of people that can teach me, people that, um, you know, that can, that can be honest with me in ways that I can't even be honest on social media, right? That I wouldn't be able to be the chair of a department um, as an academic if I showed an image of, um, of you know, mastesis or, you know, something that I was, I was going through. But I've learned a lot from people who do those posts and I'm grateful for them. And so it's, you know, trying to figure out your way through social media and maybe unfollowing people that, that trigger you, um, that developmental milestones is something that's a real trigger to me um, because I do worry about my children's development, but I also know that there's lots of accounts to follow for children with Down syndrome and, and different ways to, to engage with social media that feels more empowering to me. Great, great points. I think you know, there before it used to be um, this huge thing that we had to you know, have all of these followers and was focused on growing, growing, growing. But I think you bring up a good point that we often lose sight of just because you're following all of these accounts, they may not be beneficial for what you're trying to accomplish or what you're hoping to see. And to your point, if it's triggering or if it's upsetting, to look and find and maybe not follow those specific accounts. And I really like that your book differentiates, I think sometimes from other books that we talk about is yours is really heavily based on research and what you've seen and kind of that historical reflection of where we are to where we were, as opposed to just kind of giving out necessarily all of the advice on that. And one point that I just, I love that you talked about and it's really relevant right now, and it is a difficult conversation to have is that we do have this model image of what uh, women and mothers are supposed to look like and that a lot of our African-American women or people of color really struggle with infertility and there's the stigma and the shame around that and you did some research in that area. Would you be able to talk a little bit more about that? Sure, that's one of my, um, one of my favorites. And so, so my research partner and her partner went through at least four years of infertility and we would have a lot of conversations about how people would tell her just relax right and when you're going through infertility that's probably one of the most painful pieces of medical advice somebody could give you is is just relax right we all know somebody who went on a cruise who had a bottle of wine after years of infertility and just relaxed and got pregnant, right? We all know somebody who was going through the adoption process and miraculously got pregnant. But those statistics are so low, but this, those stories are really powerful and people love to share them. Um, and so for me, it's been helpful to work with Bethany because we were able to trace back to when did these messages of just relax start? And so in the you know, early 19th century, we were able to find um, pieces of advice where 
um, people were talking about how if you could me mentally discipline yourself, you could achieve pregnancy. And so it was sort of a long history of the psychosomatic or mental illnesses causing um, infertility, right? You're too stressed, therefore you're causing your infertility or modern life is causing your infertility. But we all know a lot of really stressed people who can easily get pregnant. And I'm one of them as somebody who didn't go through infertility. I'm a stressed person, but I didn't have trouble conceiving in, in my late thirties. Um, and so, you know, sort of deconstructing that advice. And also for me, it's really important to talk to people about how that impacts race, class, gender, socioeconomic status, et cetera, that, um, that we all know that somebody being less stressed is not going to erase scar tissue on your fallopian tubes, right? It's not going to change the shape of your uterus. It's me being stressed or de-stressing is not going to change the sperm count of my partner. And so thinking about all of these and the ways in which it's been repackaged on social media today, right? You can, you can join e-courses that you can pay money for them to teach you how to, how to get in the right mindset in order to get pregnant, right? And for people who are pretty desperate um, and can't afford a $30,000 plus um, infertility treatment, a $250 e-course is something, a potential option, right? And so talking about, you know, different issues connected to that and what, what that looks like today and how, how that myth continues, even though we've scientifically disproven it over and over again, but yet you still see it from friends and family and doctors, etc. So for, for me, I guess to summarize this is I'm really fascinated with taking the target off of the female body, right? That it's so much easier to blame the woman for being too stressed or for eating toxic foods than it is to change society, right? To change FMLA policies to change the ways in which we package meat and um, and you know different farming um, techniques, right? That that lead to it, right? And so I'm really interested in okay, why is it that the blame is placed on the women? And if we can talk about that and understand that, it sort of hopefully will relieve some some stress for individuals. Very much agree, and I think it's one of the things we're all tasked with is beginning to really try and change the rhetoric together, change the dialogue together, have these discussions, discuss that there's so much pressure placed on women and mothers and that, and it, it doesn't necessarily need to be, but it's historically how it's been. And we still can see it today constantly in kind of the same cyclical discussions. But I love that you guys are highlighting this in your work and really kind of bring forward the storied histories and the expertise of mothering that we see in the media. How can people find this great publication that you and Bethany have published together? So it is available through Rutgers University Press. And if anybody would like a 30% discount, discount code, you know, you'd be welcome to email me for it. Um, it's also available on any um, way that you can buy books like Amazon. And I think probably the thing that makes me giggle the most is that it's um, available on Target and Rutgers can't figure out how it got on to Target, but, um, but that just makes me super happy. So um, 
so you can you can get it in all of those those different places and um and it, you know we'd be really honored to um to have anybody um purchase the book and and just share it maybe with a family member or friend um who's been told that they're doing it wrong and you know again our goal is not to give advice but to help people um, deconstruct the expertise that that you see and you know to sort of shift shift that blame I love that it's on target as well I think that's funny when sometimes it's like how did it reach this media outlet but targets a great resource so <laughs> I'm and sure that's a fun one what do you uh, Maggie what do you have planned next what's coming up in 2020 for you it's been a very chaotic interesting challenging year in all of its sense but with this publication and the studies that you're doing, what's next for you in the coming months, weeks? Well, I think many of us are still waiting to hear what's happening with school for our children. And so I am not even sure how to um, move forward with some sort of plan that research is something that makes me happy and it intellectually excites me, but trying to balance um, potentially homeschooling and um, doing my job full time. I'm not quite sure how, how I will do that. Um, but one thing that I've been working on this summer that I'm really excited about with Bethany is we're writing a book chapter. Um, Amy Schumer in January posted um, that she was going through IVF and asked for advice. And so we've analyzed the thousands and thousands of comments and advice that was given to Amy Schumer about um, about going through infertility and you see a lot of the same myths and the same judgments and this you know people telling her just get a surrogate right because she's wealthy and wealthy people can afford that and she had a, a difficult pregnancy and childbirth and you know it's like we wouldn't we wouldn't i've never been told to just get a surrogate right and so um you know you see a lot of the same expertise there and so that book chapter um which will be in an edited book is something that we're having a lot of fun um playing with and so um it turned out to be a lot bigger of a project than than we realized but um but i've you know it's, it's interesting to see the ways in which there's you know a lot of overlap to, to what i've already been been trying to deconstruct that people telling her to do yoga, to eat particular foods, to, um, to rest, to do all different kinds of diets, to do all of these alternative you know, things. And so again, it's, it's what women can control, right? Telling Amy Schumer just to get a surrogate negates the fact that you still have to go through IVF to get eggs from Amy Schumer to be able to give to a surrogate, right? And so I think, you know, there's a lot of people who've been through infertility who understand that, but a lot of people that that don't. And so there's really fascinating um, conversations. And so I'll, I'll be playing with that and, um, and you know, finishing up some, some different projects as, as they come along. But it's hard for me right now to plan too much um, for what the next year is going to look like, even though I've got several things on my, you know, to-do list, which I know we're all in. First, that chapter sounds, it's going to be amazing to read. And I, I'm fascinated to see, to your point, just the amount of advice and everything deconstructed. Um, I'm looking forward to reading that when you guys are finished. I think it's interesting for everyone, but especially having it be Amy Schumer and a celebrity and just the, the 
connotations that we put around, well, she's wealthy, she's white, she has all of this to get it done. And it's, to your point, there's no simple quick fix for any of this, but we just apply these topical layers. Um, so I appreciate what the work that you're doing there. And I honestly, I think it's a great thing to say to a lot of our listeners that everyone feels they still need to be so productive and so on top of everything. And I had this discussion a lot this week on our social media channels is everyone feels just, you know, if they don't get it done and they don't know tomorrow or that, we, you know, there's a failure and it's okay, A, not being okay, and B, not knowing what's coming next. So I appreciate your open assessment that we don't know, yet know what the schools are going to look like. And that's going to impact not only your personal life of how you're managing, but also what you're doing in academics. Um, so thank you for being transparent with our listeners yeah. on and that. For me, the, the, the research part also is my way of escaping other parts of my life. And I'm not seeing <laughs> that, I'm, that I'm going to be able to do that. And so I'm, I'm stressed about not being able to have that outlet so that I can be a more focused parent. <laughs> so, so yeah, it's definitely, definitely, I don't do well with uncertainty either. Yeah, that's, I like to try, I'm, on, I'm one of the what ifs, you know, 50 million ways of planning. Uh, that blessing always laughs because even she sprang an idea on me last night and I was like, you know, it takes me a couple of days to come around so I can, you know, what if scenario, everything that we're thinking of doing. Thank you, Maggie, so much for being a guest on the podcast. And how can people continue to follow you and your work? What else are you, uh, please provide where they can connect with you further. Great. So we have um, a, a social, we have social media. Um, we have, we're more active on, um, on, on Facebook and Instagram. I'd say Instagram is where we're most active. So Johnson Quinlan Research, J&Q Research um, is our, our Facebook. We have Twitter. Um, we also have a, a website called um, Johnson Quinlan Research where people can follow um, media coverage, links to this podcast, um, different, um, we have infertility greeting cards that people can download that we've done through, through research um, that people can give to people based on what people wanted while going through treatment. And so there's lots of different resources and um, other projects that, that we're doing and other other um, ways that you can learn about what, what we're doing um, on that website. And so, you know, we love keeping in touch with people and, um, and you know, just continuing to learn and hopefully to um, bring some understanding to the different health crises that um, mothers and children face um, today. <laughs> Absolutely. And we'll be sure to link all of uh, the ways to connect with you on the podcast and on our website as well because you guys have such great resources and even something as simple um, in essence of having those greeting cards, how impactful that can be. So wonderful work that you guys are doing. Love the research. It's fascinating. I couldn't stop reading it and it you know, changes the way I think about things as well. So thank you for what you're doing. Uh, Maggie, I wish you all the best. I hope you have stay safe, stay well, stay ambitious in the coming weeks um, and look forward to seeing what you guys are up to next. And I can't wait for that Amy Schumer chapter. I'm going to love digging into that when that becomes available. Well, thank you so much for your time and your, your interest and, um, and your enthusiasm. It really means a lot. Those compliments are, are really meaningful right now, especially. Absolutely. Have a wonderful rest of your day. Thank Thanks you so much. Thank you. Thank you. 
thank you for tuning into the Mother Honestly podcast. If you want more relevant content for the ambitious mom, head on over to motherhonestly.com and follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Mother Honestly. Love our podcast? We want to hear from you. Please rate and review our podcast and subscribe to the podcast so you never miss an episode. We love growing at Mother Honestly and your reviews help us grow. Stay safe, stay well, and always stay ambitious.